This episode is brought to you by Kitcaster. Kitcaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. Kitcaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Exit Strategies Radio Show. I am your host, Corwin J. Millett, broker and owner of Exit Realty Low Country Group in beautiful North Charleston, South Carolina. If this is your first time listening to this show, you, sir or ma'am, are in for a treat because our mission here is very simple. That is to empower our community through financial literacy and real estate education. We're legacy building. That is what we do. So if you're out there making things happen with your family, for the generations yet to come, you know, our word teaches us to leave a legacy, to leave an inheritance for our children, our children, children, and so forth and so on. We want you to put a hashtag on that thing that says that you are legacy building because that is what you are doing. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Anchor FM. You can also find us on Instagram at our website, ExitStrategiesRadioShow.com You can catch us in a number of different places on your favorite podcast applications. We appreciate you listening. Please share this content with your friends, your family, your co-workers, even those in your groups, your church groups, etc. Guys, because sometimes the message and the word that we are speaking here today is for you. Sometimes it is for someone else that you know. Again, we appreciate you listening. Let's get started. Good morning, good morning, and good morning, guys. Welcome to another fabulous episode of Exit Strategies Radio Show. Hey, I'm your host. Y'all know who I is because I done told y'all in the intro, but I'm going to say it one more time. Corbin J. Millett, broken owner, Exit Realty Low Country Group, and I always fumble that sometimes just to see if y'all paying attention in beautiful North Charleston, South Carolina. So guys, look, we have a guest with us today, and I really appreciate him taking time out of his busy schedule. But he is going to be able to tell us, talk to us about some of the things that many of you guys have a tremendous amount of questions about. So I have with us today, none other than Brian Medansky with EXP Realty. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing great today. How are you doing? Man, I am incredible. I am incredible, man. So look, if you don't mind, kind of give our, our folks, our listeners, like this high level overview, if you will. Of who you are, you've been in the business. You've been around Brian for a long time, boss. Yeah, I, I got. I've been around for since 2007 is when I got my license and kind of fell into the niche that kind of guided the beginning of my career. I fell into bank-owned foreclosures and REOs by accident. You know, 450 or so of them later, I'm still going. Still a good large part of my business, though there aren't nearly what there were years ago. But yeah. there's still some out there, um, some opportunities if you if you're really searching for them. But uh, nothing like what it was back, you know, 2009, 10, 11, when the banks were really trying to get the properties off their books. So you know, one of the things. So you just said. So you know, I've, I've been around for a little while as well. I got in in 2004 is when I started in the business, and up until about around 2007 ish, eight ish. Look here, it was just like, okay, well, look, we just gonna run, 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 run. 
And then all of a sudden it was like, boom, wait a minute. We just ran into, we just hit a wall. What happened? Everything started to change, so to speak. It was an ever, it was a, a deteriorating situation is how I'll frame it. But you got in like right there, like right around the time that the wall appeared when we went around that curve. You niched in very quickly to specialize in quote unquote, what we will refer to as, you know, distressed properties. So if you don't mind, kind of give our, our listeners kind of what got you there. Tell us about you too, man, in this process. And then let's kind of talk about what's on the horizon. What are you seeing? What do we okay. expect um, as we kind of progress and, and, and talk forward? So go ahead. So yeah, I moved to South Carolina in 2006 and decided uh, I needed to get out of the car business. <laughs> and uh, real estate just seemed like a great idea. My mom was looking to do something new, so we actually teamed up. She's uh, recently retired. You know, real her. estate? Yes, yeah. Hey, I'd love to be there, but I got a couple more years to notch off. But uh, it was kind of just something I fell into where, you know, I was working for a company that I actually, it's where I got my license and kind of meandered around. And, you know, I had a friend that I used to go out with and he's like, yeah, you should come work with me. And I, I went with his broker and Two days later, I'm, I'm in the office and my friend's not moving back here. He ended up staying up and he ended up staying up in Rock Hill. So essentially, even though I had a broker, I was essentially running, you know, 25 REO properties within two days. It was, it was like, all right, well, you're jumping into the deep end. And uh, it's been like that ever since. So it's an interesting process. You know, most people don't really understand what goes into a property becoming a foreclosure. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it does have to get to the point where someone's gotten past due and the bank starts a Liz pendant, starts the actual foreclosure proceedings. And in South Carolina, they take about nine months to a year to kind of work themselves through. They can be shorter slightly, but for the most part, they're about nine months to a year. And sometimes they go longer, you know, when there's pandemics and other things that kind of throw monkey wrenches into the, uh, into the, the mix. But 2006 is kind of when they started to creep back down. Uh, 2016, sorry, is when they started to creep back down. Pretty much are almost back at the same level we were at pre-pandemic in this mm -hmm. area. But foreclosure starts are up. The big difference between 2008 and 2000, 2022 is people have equity. You know, there was a lot of things going on in 2005, six, seven with, you know, unscrupulous types of loans and, you know, you know, no doc mortgages or no, no income more, you know, income proof mortgages. And a lot of people got in over their head. And, you know, this time around, people have that equity. So what I'm actually seeing now is a lot of times I'm actually getting contacted by the bank right after the Liz pending to reach out mm -hmm. to the homeowner to kind mm -hmm. of gauge where they are in the situation. Are they interested in doing a modification? Are they even aware? Like I had mm -hmm. one guy the other day that didn't realize that his property was all of a sudden moved into a flood insurance area. And because he had mm. never taken out the policy and his mortgage company didn't take out the policy for him for some strange reason, he's now eligible to be foreclosed on by the bank. So, you know, a mm. lot of times it's kind of bringing people up to speed, but because people have equity, they want to give them, you know, after all the headaches and things that Fannie Mae, HUD, VA, USDA went through with the last go around with not, really pushing to modify people. You know, they modified who they could, but they had so much mm -hmm. debt on their books and so much mm -hmm. bad paper that they had to push them through. You know, they, mm -hmm. they couldn't just keep it all on there. So I think this go around, they're doing a lot more to try to keep people in either in their homes or get them options to get out of the home and maybe take some of that equity so they can set up their next situation. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense. You know, one of the conversations that I seem like I'm having very often is a reminder to people that we don't have the same thing. The market, well, I say plummeted, but a number of things happened 
that counteracted the momentum that the market had before we went into quote unquote recession. And I use that word very loosely because, you know, obviously there's always economic downturns. Um, right. And some are more severe, if you will, than other house others. Housing experienced something very significant, you know, in that 2007, 8, 9, going into 10 time period, you know, distresses. You know, I, I remember, you know, every conversation I had, about 35, 40 percent of the market during the time period you were coming in and I'd been in for a couple of years was distressed. It was either short sale or foreclosure. And people were upside down. It was negative equity situ- situations. And now, you know, we're in a, in a position that, you know, some people don't get me wrong, purchased, quote unquote, in more recent times and may have experienced some hardships. But the biggest thing is if you did experience a hardship, I'm going to frame this as a question to you, because I remember during the, the pandemic, during, you know, COVID where it's height, so to speak, we were recording, I was recording from home and I kept saying, guys, do not listen to social media. Don't listen to people that's telling you not to pay your mortgage. Your mortgage payment is due. So from your experience and observation, how much are you, are you seeing that play out where people just didn't pay their mortgage payment during COVID because they believed that they didn't have to pay it because somebody told them they didn't have to? Well, you know, that has come up. I think I like to actually call this time period like the great moderation. <laughs> it's it's kind of, it's not the great recession. It's not, you know, it's the great moderation. I think where we're looking at now is even if you bought two years ago, you know, we've had so much appreciation and especially in our local area, not that we're immune to the market slowing down, but you know, we have a lot of things going for us. So you know, I've always, in the last two years, three years, I've actually had to really shift my business to more of a traditional business. And when I have my mm-hmm. first conversations with new clients and I try to explain to them, especially during the pandemic, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, that May, June, July, those first couple months where it seemed like, you know, all the baby boomers decided, all right, we're going to, we're going to wait on the sidelines, see what happens here. They're usually the biggest group to jump in, in that March, April, May, because, you know, that's the biggest time of year where there's new listings. And, you know, at the same time that they were jumping out, it would seem like every millennial was jumping in, <laughs> you know, after they had sat on the sideline, you know, there was the, the longest time it was like, oh, they're just living in their parents' basement. But they really jumped in full force at the same time, the largest section of the market decided to pull out. So, you know, I think that's what caused almost an artificial inflation of values over the last couple of years. And, you know, I don't foresee the market taking a deep dive, but I do see it slowing pretty dramatically. And I, I, don't, I think it'll be worse in certain cities that maybe don't have a tech Pub, or they don't have something that draws people to that city to kind of maintain them through this this period. You know, mm-hmm. we have so much new home building in in Charleston, though. You know, new home builds are down dramatically, or at least new home closings are down dramatically, just because interest rates have jumped up. You know, you signed that contract a year ago, and you know you were hoping three and a half percent, four percent, and then all of a sudden, a month or two ago, it was six 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 point one five, six point two two, and you're like, what? Exactly. My payments went from twenty one hundred to twenty eight hundred. Like I can't afford it, so I think we're having a bit of a reset. But you know, I don't think it's going to be as dramatic, at least in our market area, that maybe Austin's or the Phoenixes or the Seattle's and some of these other cities that you know just the prices just got so outrageous. Um, you mm-hmm. know, when the pandemic first hit, you know, I was telling clients that we're going to be up against multiple offers, and I don't want to ever be in a position. God forbid we're dealing with a pandemic now. We don't know where we're going to be in two years. You know, the, the average length someone stays in a home is seven years. That's ideally. But God forbid, you know, maybe you have to go take care of a parent or maybe your job has to change. 
I don't want, I, I never wanted a client to be in a position where 18 months in or 13 months in, they're bringing $25,000 to a closing just to get out of their house. It's a fine line tightrope with so many new agents that we have in our MLS. I mean, I think there was, I got my license and there was only about 26 or 2,700 of us. And we have about three times that amount now. And yeah. you, know, you start yeah. to think about yeah. the amount of people out there and how quickly our MLS area has expanded that you have some agents that have great brokers, but as the agent pool grows, you need the broker pool to grow. So, you know, not all companies, not all brokerages, not all agents, not all realtors are created equal. So I think it's, you're going to see some people, I've seen some funny memes and things online, like all these new agents got to learn how to figure out what a price reduction is and actually marketing a property. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot more that goes into it because, you know, for about 18, 19 months there, you listed it. And as long as it was in the ballpark, you were going to get offers. And I could see why a lot of people during that time period wanted to take the idea of FISBOing so I can save the commission. The property's going to sell them themselves. But, you know, a lot of times they probably can sell the property. They may not get the most money for it, but they can sell the property. So I think things are going to, you'll start to see some changes, some tightening. And you may even see some agents come out of the market over the next two years because I think you're just going to see the people who actually put the money into their advertising, the people who've had a base, the people who have their referrals. I think you're going to see them be able to build. Whereas someone who's a new agent who's kind of just had, you know, five, six, seven, 12 deals not thrown at them. They've done the work, but they never experienced the other side of the market. So they don't have the expertise to excel. I think you're going to see some of those people maybe get weeded out over the next couple of years. That's a very fair assessment, Brian, because you know we watched it before. As the market shifts, the people that are most serious will maintain. They'll stay in the business. Other people won't. And it's interesting. So I became a full-time realtor in 2006 and have been since. You know, I got in, I was in, but I was able to kind of get a, a stable hold on what my business was going to be and, and determine my business within the first you know year and a half in the industry and then convert it to a quote unquote full time. Even though I tell people I was still full time, I just worked two <laughs> jobs full time, so right. to speak. But in that change and in that instance, what I learned was, look, you got to go to work and things that we went through during that time period of having the hard conversations of, hey, look, this needs to be done, this adjustment, you know, knocking, quote unquote, down these doors, doing these things to generate activity to get property sold, different animal. And then also you're, at that time we were competing because, Lord, we had an abundance of inventory. I remember one time I, you can click in MLS and you had 15,000 plus, you know, units on the market. Now we're under, I think we're still under 3,000 thereabouts yeah. in this area. And this is a conversation that's, that's beyond just, you know, the Charleston regional or Charleston metro. Other parts of the country are experiencing the same thing. But, you know, tell me kind of what you are foreseeing. Like, you know, obviously this is a different experience than what we had last time. But at the same time, I've ran across some people here lately that haven't paid mortgages, or mortgage payments in significant period of time. And they kind of just kind of have gotten under the, been under the radar. But now they're being, okay, hey, what's going on? Hey, do you want to sell this property? Hey, what do you need to do so we can either get you back on track or you need to solve or remedy this issue? Is that kind of what you're seeing as well? Well, so we're now at the point. Well, so the forbearance, the, the moratorium on foreclosures ended in September of last year. So 
you know, if we go back to when I was talking about the timeline of what it takes a list pending to be filed to actually becoming a foreclosure that's on the master and equity list, it's usually about nine to 12 months. But, you know, with the pandemic, all these different municipalities, they basically closed a lot of their departments down. And it took a long time between the attorneys, the judges, the, you know, the different clerks and the different people that work in the different offices in the master and equity and to really get ramped up. So, you know, let's just say that's probably three, four months of time there where everything was kind of getting sorted out. You know, we're now at a time where we're about seven, eight months past that. And that's kind of to the point where like Liz pendants are going to get filed. And so I think we're going to start to see the numbers jump in South Carolina. It's still not going to be dramatic. When you go from zero and they tell you the, you know, floor closures are up 300%, it's really easy to be up 300% when you're only doing a couple of months. I'm actually seeing a lot of the ones I've been surprised by. There's been some, been quite a few reverse mortgage foreclosures home equity mm-hmm. conversion mortgage foreclosures. Mm-hmm. And those typically go regardless because, you know, I don't know if your viewers are familiar with the product, but, you know, it's typically a product someone over the age of 62 gets. And mm-hmm. it's a way to take use the equity of your home to be able to still have a life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people don't have a plan when they pass away what happens with mm-hmm. the property. Sometimes too much equity is taken out and it's just not worth the family to take on. Sometimes... Mm-hmm. The family doesn't even know that the person took out a home equity conversion mortgage until the person's gone. So those typically have kind of made their way through the system regular time. I'm also seeing a lot of HOAs. If you actually look mm-hmm. at the master and equity for the three counties, there was about seven or eight HOAs this last for September. So I'm seeing a lot of mm-hmm. HOAs pulling the trigger quickly on it. So, I mean, it's hard for me to project exact numbers, but, you know, they will be more than what they were a year ago. But there's still, you know, I see it being more like 2017, 18 when it comes to numbers. Like right mm-hmm. now, I think there's only active on the market. I think there's only seven REO properties active mm-hmm. and about another seven or eight pending. Back in 2011, there was 110 active, 120 active mm-hmm. with another 110, 120 that were available uh, that weren't mm-hmm. under contract. So that we're under contract just waiting to close. So, I mean, we're in a completely different, you know, for the numbers, we'd need, we'd need something else to cause the market to go that direction. But will there be opportunities out there? I think so. I think also, you know, the last couple of years you had investors really hop in and a lot of DIY, you know, we're going to get our first income property and people could make mistakes where mm-hmm. now because the market's tightening up, because appreciation's not going up the same way, because interest rates have gone up so much, people's buying power is down. So people aren't going to to pay that extra twenty thousand or thirty thousand that would have been the padding for you to make a, a good deal as an investor. So I think you're mm-hmm. going to start to see some properties from the investor side come through over the next couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. The next, you know, probably eighteen months to two years. You know, people they went in with the best of intentions, but can't always hit a home run on your first time out there. So you know, I, I kind of think that's where the, I think that's kind of some of the things you may start to see in the market. That's interesting. So you're right about that. So, you know, we've had a flood of, of activity and I say this thing, Brian, to consumers, I say it to, you know, our agents here all the time, consumer journey lag, lags behind. The headlines that hit the media, like you just said, foreclosed up 300%. Well, that is relative because you're looking at the percentage change, but not the actual number change to understand what that really means. And the consumer usually lags behind on the information. They don't understand and know what's going on in the market. You know, I still get people that call and say, I want to buy a foreclosure. Are your properties are not prevalent. You're lucky 
every now and again, one shows up. Um, and we've been that way for, for so long, but yet consumers still believe, feel, and especially when they see headlines such as, you know, what you kind of what you shared there, that it's still a, an abundance of foreclosure opportunity. You know, our market is different. Appreciation took hold. And most people, the Benyez, the one that's been in their home for some time, tend to have an equity position in their homes. And it's less likely that they're going to be in a negative equity situation, which means that there's going to be a number of avenues available to them to avoid foreclosure. They're still going to be at least somewhat beneficial to them. And that's one of the things that the consumers miss. Is is that fair to say? No, it's very fair to say, you know, because I mean, even if you bought a $200,000 house two years ago, it's closer to worth three now than it was. So you can get out. I mean, worst case scenario, I mean, I'd rather, I would rather walk out with 35, 40 grand after attorney's fees or 50, you know, whatever it is at that point. Because typically if you didn't pay your, if you didn't pay your mortgage, you probably didn't pay your HOA. You probably didn't, you know, there's, there's probably other things that are going to eat into that equity, but People didn't have that option beforehand. They were seventy thousand, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars upside down, and they just didn't know where to go. You know, they figured at that point we'll we'll just stay in the property as long as we can. Banks, you know, it was kind of a crapshoot. It's funny. It was sometimes I would get a property in like 2015, 2016, 2017, but it came out of the foreclosure started in 2010 or 2009, and you're like, how did this go so long? And then you'd have other ones that started like seven months earlier and it, it made it through the system. But, you know, a lot of times it has to do with portfolios they're willing to write off in what portfolios are not. Did the portfolio get sold off to a, to an investor, third party? So a lot of times there's different external factors, but you know, the market we have now, you know, I get calls all the time. I want to buy a foreclosure. I'm like, That's great. There's about seven or eight on the market and they're in Reevesville, Pineville, you know, they're at Monk's Corner or Bono or, you know, and I only mentioned those in Santee. I only mentioned those because I was in Santee, Reesville, <laughs> <laughs> and Pineville today at three of my foreclosure listings. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was a nice little four-hour drive. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, people also miss this, the work, like you said, that goes into an REO property. And REO, for our listeners, guys, is real estate owned, so a foreclosure. There's a tremendous amount of work that goes into keeping that property prior to it being sold, correct? Correct. So there's a, there's a lot of, it varies from bank to bank, institution to institution, government entity to government entity. So, you know, sometimes the agent that has the listing or assigned the listing, they can be required to do a rekey, do the, keep the utilities on at the property. They may want to do a rehab, like Fannie Mae right now is rehabbing probably about 70, 80% of their inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, now, sometimes you can be on the hook for a portion of that. Like they want you to outlay it. So you may have $10,000 tied up in a property for 60 to 90 days while you're waiting for things to fall in line so that you can get reimbursement. So mm-hmm. it's not, it's not, you know, I have a lot of people contact me. I want to become an REO agent. I'm like, all right, well, let, let's go down and let's go through what's going to cost to be one. I mean, so, you know, there's, there's different portals and websites you have to sign up for. Some of them are free. Most mm-hmm. of them are not, mm-hmm. you know, like this one called ResNet. You know, that's seven hundred dollars a year. Equator's four hundred dollars a year. Pyramid platforms eight hundred dollars a year. Zomes twenty two hundred dollars a year. You know, you start adding up this just to be an REO, you have a seven or eight thousand dollars. And that's just, just to get onto the portals. There's no guarantee that you have a relationship built with an asset manager at one of the companies on those portals. So then there's also the other side of 
building relationships with with the asset managers who are essentially your client because mm-hmm. you know you're not meeting someone out and it's not like I'm calling Fisbo lists or expired and mm-hmm. trying to pick up a client that way I'm I'm calling banks and hey who's the rep for South Carolina I'd like to see it's trying to build relationships and just like in the mortgage industry and in the real estate industry, the guy who's at this company today, he's here for two years and now he's at that company. And yeah. you know, you spent all this time building relationship and now you're just trying to find out the name of the person who replaced him. Um, <laughs> so yeah. there's conferences. And so there's a conf- big conference coming up in Dallas in about two and a half weeks. Five star, right? Five star. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. you know, there'll be a lot of banks and asset managers and a lot of realtors. I know that'll be there in three days and that's, Couple that that's a nice little pocket change uh, out of definitely a deal out of my pocket to, to go down there, but mm-hmm. you know it gives me the opportunity to, to have face to faces and some of the things you need to do when you're an REO agent. But everybody says that they want to get into REO. This is probably unless you already have a footing or you know someone where you already have an in somewhere. It's definitely not something that you can jump into with both feet and expect to do really well right off the bat. That's fair. And most, most people, again, going to that one that one point there, Brian, and thank you so much for sharing that, that people don't understand, you know, that's across the board in this business. People are jumping into the real estate industry thinking they can make a lot of money, but don't have to spend any. They don't have to invest. They don't have to invest their time. They don't have to attend the conferences, trainings, sign up for all these platforms. I'm a member. And I know you're a member of like a bunch of MLSs. So, you know, every quarter you get in this massive bill <laughs> because of all MLSs that you got to be a part of and association right. memberships and all this other stuff that costs so much to be in this industry. So, Brian, look, we quickly come to, you know, quote unquote, the end of our show. If you don't mind for our listeners, please share your contact information. Uh, I can be reached at team at modanskyhomes.com and that's M-O-D-A-N-S-K-Y-H-O-M-E-S.com. And my direct line is 843-628-8910. So, Brian, again, thank you so much, my man, for being a part of the Exit Strategy Radio Show family, for being with us today. And most importantly, look here, you dropped some jewels and some nuggets. For our <laughs> listeners, guys, thank you all so much for tuning in. As you know, we always say this thing to you guys. We love you. We love you. We love you. And we're going to see you guys out there in those streets. Guys, that was a great show today. And we thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Exit Strategies Radio Show. My name is Corwin J. Millett. Yes, that is me. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in for today's episode. Exit Strategies is my baby. It is how I give back to our community. It is how I foster goodwill, spread good news, and trustfully help you get great results. Guys, as I always say to you, as I always say to you, I love you. I love you. I love you. And we're going to see you guys out there in the streets.